Welcome to episode 17 of the Through the Point podcast. This week I had on not only a javelin thrower, but a decathlete as well in Carl McCargo. Carl was introduced to the javelin at Riverside Community College in California and went on to have a successful career as a decathlete and thrower at Central Missouri. Carl currently works for the track and field brand Essex and is the founder and CEO of Track Barn, which if you follow my Instagram, you have definitely seen me share before. A really cool fact about Carl is he's the only African-American in a leadership and sales role at a track and field manufacturer in the U.S., and a track, and, or a track barn is the only black-owned track and field company in the industry, which he touched on it a bit in the primary part of the interview, but we also dug deeper into the lessons and advice he has from that experience uh, after his favorite thrower, which is normally the final question. I always give out a prep sheet, uh, but our conversation was just flowing and I really wasn't looking at it and I got caught up in it, but I'm thankful he reminded me because I think it's a really important topic, uh, especially considering the state of the country right now, and he gave awesome insights. So definitely stay tuned after what is normally the final question. If you want to check out Track Barn's Instagram, it's at just at Track Barn uh, and let us both know what you think. Thanks. I'm here with Carl McCargo of Track Barn, who is also a Division II national qualifier in both the Javelin and Decathlon. Carl, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's my pleasure. How are things going on your end? Obviously, you have the business and uh, just life in general. Man, good, dude. I just got done taking my son on a walk. We got a little 15-month-old. Um, I drive about 45 minutes every day to the office up to our factory um, at Essex. Um, it's just outside, of, just outside of Dallas, probably about a block out of Dallas County, but we're technically in Fort Worth. So I commute there back and forth every day. I got my nap in over lunch because I was up late <laughs> last night working uh, on track farm. But like life's good. My wife's a teacher here locally in Waxahachie ISD. And like, I can't complain, man. We're extremely blessed. Just moved into a new home um, at the beginning of May, right during COVID. So a lot of unknowns there during closing yeah. during COVID. So that was odd, but <laughs> life's good, man. Like I'm just happy to be here and just kind of talk about my story. Uh, absolutely. And I'm glad you could come on because yesterday we both, I think it was Thursday or Friday, we planned it. And then we realized it was Father's Day on Father's right, Day right. and we had to delay it, but we're, I'm glad we're getting it in at least soon so I can get it out as soon as possible. But glad to hear things are going well. And man, you got a bunch of stuff going on. You got the 15 month old, like you said, new house, new, or you got the brand going. So good to hear from you though. Definitely. So I appreciate it. So let's go back to the start, I guess. And what was your uh, athletic background like growing up, I guess, in high school or younger than that even? Man, so like my uncle, uh, my mom's brother, uh, super athletic track coach, PE teacher. He did football, lettered football. as like a seven-foot high jumper. He pushed us early on to play soccer, uh, play basketball. Um, I did a couple of tumbling classes, um, played baseball to my junior year of high school, believe it or not. And um, all of those different sports played an impact in uh, the athlete that I became. Um, I actually ran cross country my junior year of high school to get in shape for baseball so I could pitch longer, right? And I ended up realizing like, oh, dude, this kid just dropped a 1705 and a 5K's first year ever running cross country. And I went to Marietta Valley High School. So we ran the Joe B. Hill uh, program. And uh, Steve Chavez was our head coach then. And uh, they won multiple state titles and things like that and I was like I want to say I was like the 21 man 21st 
guy on the team, but like on any other team, I would have been like top 10, you know? Right. right. So it was super humbling, like not even thinking of it, anything of it. Like when I got out of high school, like realizing how fast I actually was, you know? So I think it's important, especially as a former coach, is to have that, um, that well-rounded background. That's what I was going to say with everything. Uh, I think you said it was your uncle, right? Yeah. What you into is like just all this different things. Like you said, tumbling, soccer, basketball, like you're getting so many different types of athletic movements, I guess, or different things, like especially at a young age. I mean, you don't have to do that right. all until you're 20, but I mean, when you're younger, like being able to get all those different qualities is definitely big. And like, this is, I guess, a shout out to Alex. I don't know who, what the rest of the name is, but Alex, that young girl that I've posted who throws in, um, Germany uh, oh yeah yeah she's a great example man her dad or dad and uh, mom I think the dad I think her dad runs the account I'm not sure but they, I always uh, talk to them briefly but like what he's doing it just seems incredible in terms of just like she's in they're making it fun for her but she's also getting like she's running sprints and she's doing different types of gymnastics and tumbling and yeah. all these different things and she's also throwing like it's just incredible what she can do and like the athleticism they're developing in like a nine-year-old girl it's just ridiculous yeah it, it really is like even like right now with our little guy you know um i've been putting him on a on a strider bike um since he's eight nine months old just being able to stand up and rocking back and forth and figuring out that body awareness, you know, um, I think it's important. I do, I do a lot of, he's barefoot a lot in the yard. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of barefoot stuff. Um, yeah. So I'm working, I'm trying to slide that barefoot running in eventually. You know, they say it's terrible, but I'm like, dude, it's going to strengthen the feet early on. Right. Oh, for sure. And that's, <laughs> that's such an athlete way to do it too is like you have a 15 month old kid and you're talking about barefoot running <laughs> but that, that's awesome that's just how how everyone who's passionate about it would be and it's like what I what I love uh what they do with Alex is like it just is fun too like there he's not like making her sprint till she pukes but she looks like she's enjoying it and they're like actually right. like really doing it in a good way that it's like that's how you make a child athletic without making it like military style like training yeah make like it that. fun that's how I coached man that's how my dad raised us just making it fun yeah absolutely so you had a good or I guess diverse high school career of different sports and then when you go to college you ended up going to Riverside Community College what yeah, was I went to I guess, RCC yeah what was that yeah. process like or like why'd you choose it and everything like that gosh you know I kind of owe that to one person um Jim McCarron he's the head uh, cross-country track and coach there he's a director um, this guy used to call me every week. Um, he would follow up after every meet and he was persistent. Right. And I had looked at Stanislaus had looked at Culver Stockton, the head coach that's at Emporia state. Now he was there, Steve blocker, great guy. Um, I had looked at, uh, I want to say, what was it? Um, humble as well. Cause I only ran my senior year of high school. So like, really? I came out and ran like a 39.3 in the 300 hurdles um, against this fast dude from Vista Marietta. It's actually the same high school that Michael Norman went to. Uh, was our rival high school. Okay. Um, and freakishly, kind of like I used to get out of my I used to get out of my baseball clothes my junior year, and I would go over to the track <laughs> for like a JV meet. Yeah. So it was a it was a trip. So were you doing mostly hurdles in high school or like what was getting you recruited, yeah, I guess? Yeah, hurdles. So um, funny story, the whole reason why I actually ended up running track is my first race ever, I was in JV. And we had this kid that was special needs on the team. And um, he used to always talk crap to me 
right? Like he was going to beat me. He was better than me, blah, 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 you know? So we, we line up on the line. We told the line, I'm wearing like these old school JA flies. They're like gold and purple, you know? <laughs> My head coach had given them to me. And I hit the first hurdle and I fall. And I'm laying there on my face and I, I, I get up and I'm looking around and I'm like, and, and everyone's laughing, right? The whole, the whole team tinch right here, like at the, at the, uh, at like the 10 yard line as you're on the backstretch for the, for the, uh, for the hurdles, for the start of the hurdles. And they're going, get up, get up. And I'm going, all right, maybe I should run. And, and the kid <laughs> over here that's been talking crap to me for weeks is going, I'm winning, I'm winning. So from that point forward, I trucked every hurdle from the start to the very finish. Um, <laughs> and I finally got on the last hurdle and I won. And everyone just falling out laughing. He comes over, the kid gives me a hug, tells me good job, you know, like that yeah. atmosphere. You wouldn't really get that encouragement, I feel like, at a team smart sport then. Like, I graduated high school 07, so, like, baseball was like, yo, dude, if you trip and fall on your way to first base, like, everyone's falling out and laughing at you. Oh, yeah. And talking about it weeks after, right? They're not talking about how'd you persevere to get through it. And, right. You know, we used to do pasta parties over at the Dive family house. That was, the, that was their family name. They owned the local restaurant. And um, it was just a community. And we didn't have that on the baseball team. It was a little more clicky. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I have that back like, too come one, come all, right? Like, and I love that, that idea about it and how it could just change it and how, how it changed my life. You know? Right. And, and when you spend so much time outside of that and like, then you get in there, it's like weird almost. It's like, what's going on? Like, why, like you said, yeah. why is everybody being so nice when I just kicked over all those yeah. hurdles? Like, it's, whatever. It's weird. You're like, kind of like, dude, this is odd, right? Like, yeah, it's exactly. Cool. It's cool. Knowing you have those people support is super cool. For sure. Yeah. Jim McCarron, dude, he's the reason why I ended up at RCC and um, I was actually on their first state title team. Oh, wow. I, I want to say they're up to like maybe six to eight state titles now, man. But and you said you went there in what, 2008, seven? Oh, seven, oh, eight. Yeah. Oh, seven, oh, eight. I was a team captain. That was when I learned how to throw the javelin. Uh, yeah. So, dude, Jim McCarron, I wasn't, I didn't know if I was going to run or not, but man, that dude was persistent. He could recruit. And it shows now, right? Like the programs he's built, where the athletes are, the coaches that have been in the program. You know, he's a really strict guy, but I think in hindsight, like any, any person who's an authority that's over you, you thank them for it later. Um, but at the time, I didn't understand why he was the way he was until I coached. Right. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. Cool yeah. So you said that's where you learned the javelin. That's kind of like a later on question I had, but I want to go to that now. So yeah, like, yeah, for sure. How did that, what was the first day like? How did you get introduced to it? And then like, how, how quickly did you pick it up? Dude, so my buddy... My buddy Lance Gonzalez, we, him and I used to commute together uh, back and forth. He went to Marietta Valley at high school as well, was at Orange Coast College, had transferred in with us. And I used to hang out at practice with him like after hours, you know, and I would hang out because I'd, I'd have to drive home with him some days. And he goes, dude, why don't you come over here and throw this? And it was like before our, our coach came out, I'll tell you who our coach was. That's a super cool story. Um, and I would just like chuck it around, like just do some pecking. He showed me the three different grips, whatever. I was like, all right, this is kind of cool, you know. And he goes, dude, you should see how far you can stand throw one. And um, I picked one up. I picked up my left foot and just, just, just hammered the right leg, like swinging a baseball bat. And I launched it like 140 feet. We went and got the tape measure <laughs> and we measured it. And my buddy's going, holy, you know, yeah. he's just going off. <laughs> dude, you need to, dude, you need to throw the jab, you know? And there, I was just there for like the 400 hurdles uh, and the 110 hurdles and the re I was trying to get on the relay, you know? But there, we had guys on our team running like 46 point, dude, like 45 high. So yeah. it was out of the question, but it was like, all right, maybe jabs where I can kind of shine a little, 
you know? Right, for sure. And I picked up on it pretty fast. You know, I only did like three crossovers to start, you know. I had a really hard time because I pitched and I played outfield is having that long step at the end. So trying to get my foot, my block leg underneath me was a struggle up until probably like my junior year of college because I just wanted to be long at everything. And track is so tall and short in a lot of the things that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, in the events, like whether you're hurdling, you're sprinting, you know, you're throwing jabs, like you, everything finishes high, right? Nothing, not a lot of things break down and bring force to the ground. Everything, you move through everything. Right. So that was a struggle, but that was when I picked it up, man. Like I was like, man, I can get pit. I can yell when I throw this thing, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, was, yeah. I was hooked on that. So that like struggle with your left leg is so, I mean, I still deal with it sometimes, but I think it goes back to like that first summer after I competed, I was just reading some stuff and it was actually like a Jeff Gorski article who I interviewed not that long ago, but it was just talking about like settling on your right leg, like a pitch and like, then like loading it like a pitcher and what he was talking about. And I was like, I remember reading it and like highlighting it. And I think I still have the screenshot on my phone. Cause I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I did it. But it's just like, like you said, it's so different that like, what was so good about Zelazny was how fast he got his, it was like right to left was like, so, so small, but then it was like, it's the opposite is like, if you're out pitching on a mound, you're loading your back leg and taking forever to get that left leg down. So, so it's, long. And it's like the opposite and like trying to figure that out was hard. Right. Like, yeah but that was when I started throwing like over 180 I think I threw 177 at RCC okay uh, by the end of the season yeah um never had quite figured out the full approach um but I mean I just I had a, I had a good arm like I played baseball as a pitcher right. you know and that was that was one thing too is trying to figure out the right arm slot um you know you drop down and back with a baseball whereas a javelin straight back and right. trying to figure out how do I accelerate this implement from this point forward and not murder my elbow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that was interesting. So then out of, you said you spent one year there or do you spend two? I spent one year RCC. Yep. Um, had a really good friend of mine, my college roommate, one of my guys was at my wedding, uh, Alex Loman, one of my best buddies ended up being my coach in college. Um, he went to central Missouri and uh, my ongoing joke is like, you know, I followed him everywhere he went. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> And um, he was my good buddy. He was like, kind of like my safety net. Um, I flew out to Central Missouri, had a couple calls with Kip Janvern, uh, 2000 Olympian in the decathlon, and um, talked with him a couple times on the phone. And it was basically like, hey, man, so what do you think about spending like, you know, three to four hours a day at the track training? And I was like, man, I lo- I'd, I'd love to. Like, I'm doing that now just two days a week. But, I mean, if you believe that I could be a really good athlete and excel in other events, like, I'm all for it, you know. So I ended up walking on at Central Missouri in the fall of 08 um figuring things out and I registered in my first year actually um freaking loved it man just California kid dude just super super friendly to all these midwesterns and they're like who's this who's who's a weird friendly Cali guy like this guy talks weird you know and um it was fun like realizing how unique you are growing up um in North County San Diego and then going to the midwest and realizing like not everybody's your not everyone's your guy, right? Like, you know, because Californians, we're so friendly, man. Like, we're just cool with everybody, you know? And I think that that's a big part of it is you figure out how unique you are um, when you step out of your comfort zone and go out of state for school. So I highly recommend people to take their visits and look outside the box because sometimes there's a hidden gem there and you might not even know it. It might connect all your dots. For sure. Um, and like I said, like, I connected a lot with Kip. I connected with Kip really well. I didn't talk to a whole lot of their schools. Um, my buddy sent me some 
photos of, you know, how fit all the girls and everybody on the team was. I was sold. <laughs> you know, you go from junior college where people are wearing like just t-shirts and basketball shorts, you know, and they bust out those sports bras and you're just kind of like, whoa, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I so, mean, yeah, for sure. So like, that was a shock for sure. Yeah. So was that like a different, I guess you said you didn't talk to them any other schools, but was it like, did you go in there knowing you were going to be a decathlete or was it like they were still recruiting yeah, yeah. you kind of? I, um, I went there knowing I was a decathlete. My good, you know, G- McCarran was trying to make me do the decathlon while I was at RCC, but I just like wasn't, I just was still learning track, right? It was only my second full season of doing track. So I was like, yeah, let me just try the javelin. He had all the um, initiative to have me do the decathlon the following year, you know, but it was like, I had the conversation with Kip. I did my research on him, made a couple calls and people were like, dude, yeah, I think you'd be really good at it. Uh, the only drawback, I was a super slow baseball player. So people were like, saw me transform in the matter of like three years. And I come back and I'm wearing spandex and I've got these huge quads and I'm running sprints <laughs> yeah. up and down the track and I'm hurdling, I'm jumping, I'm pole vaulting. So it was, it was a trip. Like I didn't know I would be successful at it, but it, it just kind of pays dividends to Kip's program and the decathletes that came before me who kind of right. set that up. What was it like learning the pole vault out of like never having done that? I just think that one would be, if oh I was going to do dude. it, like I would be bad, but <laughs> I think that would be, that would be as like no height. Like I would high jump very short, but I wouldn't yeah, not I, do anything on pole vault. Gosh, if, if any of the listeners want to look up uh, Missouri pond vault, you guys can see a video of me learning how to pole vault into a pond. Uh, it's basically <laughs> the first time we're at, we're at the Jambin residence. We're out at Kip's house and we run down a, basically run down a grass, little grass uh, embankment. And he's just like, Hey dude, just, just plant that thing as tall as you can stay tall, stay behind the pole and just ride it out and just move your arms through it. Right. And it told me that. And the first thing I did is I took off and I grabbed the pole (laughs) 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 and I got all the way to the top of the pole and I slid down into the water. Right. The very first one, second time gripped up a little bit and I started kind of ride it. That was the first time um, that I did it. And, uh, I, I was hooked. Um, yeah, because I just think there's so nothing like that anywhere else that it's like, I, I don't know how you could really prepare yourself unless you were doing it. So the fact that you were able to come, like being a baseball person myself, like being able to come in there and do that at all is yeah, impressive. Dude, nerve, yeah, nerve wracking for sure. But yeah, they Kip does a really good job breaking things down, like a very fundamental. Um, they keep it simple, right? And it's everything's very basic. And then as you improve as an athlete there, they do a really good job of catering your training as to what works for you. Um, the GAs were always really responsive and stuff like that. So, I mean, nothing but good things to talk about central that basically built my track and field network with central Missouri. Right. So, yeah. And obviously this is a javelin podcast, so I'm going to have to keep going on the javelin if you don't mind, but I like, how was it training for like improving your javelin, I guess, cause you were new to it when you were training for all the other events at once. Do you think that was like a, a good thing or was it something you would have rather focused on or yeah you know when I look back at it so we'll go back on the pole vault I actually tore my ACL pole vaulting oh wow yeah uh sophomore year of college my red shirt sophomore year I was ranked number three in the country and they had the bleachers out that day on the indoor track and I tore my ACL so I actually didn't think that I would ever be able to throw the jab again because it was my right leg it was Mm. my uh my rear leg but it was actually a blessing in disguise because it made my crossovers faster. Really? Um, yeah, because I had to get off my right leg to get to my left as fast as possible <laughs> because it, it, it hurt. 
Yeah, so I was going to say, you can't put weight on it because it's going to give you bad I feedback. Yeah, I so. could not plan on it. So I had to use my arm and just try to keep my chest up and just drive that left leg, that, that, uh, my block leg, as hard as I could. I'm just trying to move through it as, and as fluid as possible, you know. Um, but it was hard to balance the time. I did a lot of med ball work. Um, you know, we didn't get to throw a lot because of the weather until, like, March. Sometimes we take right. a trip to Angelo, Texas all the time, to Angelo State, and um, we take that trip. So I usually get to throw a jab a whole lot. Um, but then I started kind of having some elbow problems, some old tendonitis from playing baseball and stuff like that. So I really think that if I had developed an approach, um, and really committed myself to just jab on specific training, um, I could have done well, but if I trained like a quarter miler, cause the running helped me a lot. Um, I noticed my senior year when I qualified for the javelin, the nationals, um, I didn't have the same pop down the runway when they catered, they took back my running workouts. Mm. So that kind of changed my whole mindset of training athletes after college as well. But if I went back, I would have probably tried to go. Um, I probably would have stayed at RCC for another year and just completely just threw the jab. Because um, mm -hmm. we had – Chris Weiler was at RCC. Do you know Chris Weiler? I don't know if I do. Okay. So he was a 74-meter um, guy. That Maybe that does sound familiar now that you bring it up, but um, I'm not 100%. Real skinny guy, very, very thin. I think that he could have taken me to the point where I could have thrown like 62 meters there for sure. Um, but definitely, definitely. But I just throwing things. Everybody wants to throw things, you know. That's Right. I loved it. I freaking loved the javelin. It was just so fun. And then, I mean, I used to throw a 50-meter jab because by the time the javelin came around, I was just – trashed <laughs> and i try to find a way to get it out there 58 59 meters you know um lose the point everything else it was just <laughs> sloppy but i was just strong i was just really explosive and strong so i was able to get away with it you know right yeah and when we previously talked i know you had said like you just said there that you would have liked to have spent more time with the javelin or been able to train it more and you mentioned a pretty like interesting story I guess before we started with Duncan Atwood how he was trying to get you to throw more and like I don't know if you want to go into that or say and go into that and like I guess the overarching yeah. theme two of the podcast for me is like why do people like the javelin like what really draws them to it so for someone that didn't stick with it the way that a lot of the people I interviewed have where they keep throwing years and years after college like I guess what would you tell someone who's either considering Man, I, but, I think yeah. for me, like if you're going to consider training, cause it's, it's a high impact event. It's a lot like pole vault, right? Um, you know, how many times can you take off under in the pole vault and not expect to have a wrecked back? Like I think every pole vault guy that I know that trained at a high level, like they've got some kind of issue with their back or something now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think healthier um, is smarter. Um, I think a lot of guys in an event like the javelin tend to overtrain. Um, because you do have that long fall, the long indoor, and really airing on less is more uh, post-collegiately. Um, some people are on the reverse effect. I know you mentioned throwing one time a week, and that ended up working really well for you, maybe going higher value in the fall. But just airing on just being healthy, I think people lose sight of, uh, like Harry Mara always says, you know, you, you're better off towing the line at 90% and being at 60% fitness I'm at 90% health and 60% fitness than you are towing the line at 60% health and 90% fitness, right? Because you're For not sure. going to finish what you start. And I think that's something I should have taken um, more into consideration training for both the decathlon and the javelin post-collegiate league. Cause I mean, there's post-collegiates that come out of central Missouri all the time. Like you have guys like Curtis Brondike, he's a GA there now. 
Um, he scored 7,800, I believe. Oh, you wow. got guys like Tim Wunderlich. He scored 6,800 points at Dartmouth, then left Central, trained with Kip for a few years, ended up scoring 7,600 points. Um, Brent Vogel, my teammate in college, he was a 7,500-point guy. My roommate, Darius Walker, was a 7,200-point guy, national champion multiple times. And, you know, they just pumped him out. There was one year we had five decathletes qualify for the national meet. That's absolutely insane. Like five yeah. in any event, but in that, to have people that are that good at that many events is just ridiculous. Yeah, it was fun, man. Practice was like a competition. But yeah, I mean, I think that if you're going to go post collegiate, like in any event, really is less is more, more quality. Like, um, believe in the maturity of your body depending on where you're at. I don't know, maybe you started junior year of college or maybe you started freshman year, but I think knowing your body as you go into that, that post collegiate is really important. Cause I know you talked about some of your training is a little more unorthodox and different, but like, I mean, everybody knows if you know what works for you, right? Like, you can't go and look at what um, Bro Greer was doing back in the day and say, oh, well, I really like the way he recovers. You know, if they call it, it's a training fallacy, right? What works for that person might not work for you. Right. That's what, I think that's what killed me as a coach is kids would try to bring stuff in that they're seeing on YouTube and things like that. And they would try to do it at practice. And I'm like, hey, like, we can try it. But let's do this on the days that I don't have stuff planned for you. Right. And, and let's do it low impact. Let's just experiment. Because I was all about being open with the kids and things like that when I coach. So I yeah. think that's important. I think what you hit on was really good there in terms of like, I, I was, I'm guilty of it. I guess maybe sometimes still, but like more in the past is being really short-sighted in terms of like, ow, oh, my arm's hurting, but I need to get these throwing sessions in for like this week. But it's like, what's right. going to benefit me for the next two years of throwing is going to be not bothering it now like I could be set back for years if I like push through something that's unnecessary and it's like not just sit at your house and do nothing but like you could get away of like I really made some strong improvements from like 60 to 90 minutes six days a week of like focus training and I didn't like kill myself over it I know some people uh, what I have I do think there is some merit to there is some people feel that they need that they're not even necessarily doing it because they think it makes them better, but they need to feel like mentally that they, they worked really hard. Something, right. Yeah. yeah. They hard. So I think that, and there's nothing wrong with, it. I think I've talked to really good people that feel that way sometimes, or they just need to get a good sweat going or something. And that's for sure personal. But I think really like, like you said, there's no reason to push through it when you have to play the long game in terms of stuff. Yeah. Like I mean, that. like I'm always, I'm a big believer in like, dude, write your fall workouts in pen and write your spring workouts in pencil. Like, legitimately listen to your body. Because there's going to be days where you can – you got five sets of three to bang around in the weight room, but you feel really good, so you throw a, you throw a six set of, of one on just to see where you're at that day. Because, like, you know, maybe you had an off-cycle week or whatever, and you just feel really good, and you're just going to hammer it. But I think um, going hard on the days you feel good um, and backing off the days where your body just doesn't feel good. Because it's not going to – that one or two throws, it's not going to make a difference in your career. And like, I, I think that that's one thing I took for granted is like, I really more, 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 it was always more, more, more. Like I was just a big workload guy. And that's how I am now. Like, I think that's just kind of how I'm wired. You know, mm -hmm. um, I work with Ty Harvey. Um, he's a 19 foot pole vaulter and that's Ty. Ty is more and more. He's a hammer. Like Ty, that guy works. He sends emails at 1130 at night. He's up at it at 530 AM. And the guy's just on it. But working with other people like that in our industry, like it, it channels towards you, right? Like, mm -hmm. so that's, I think that's something like at, at Essex at my day job, um, like our VP works his butt off. Like 
Mike, one of our outside sales guy, Mike Vanny, he's in Florida. He works his tail off, you know, Jeremy Scott, he's on our team. Dude's a doctor and he helps out with our stuff, works his tail off. Like everybody's working their butts off to get for the one common goal. And I think that that's really cool. Right. And it's hard to not do that yourself. when, like you said, you're surrounded by it. It's going to be really hard for you to be like last one in first one out. Like you're not, you're going to like, yeah. I don't want to be that guy. That's like not doing it. If they're going to push you all to that level, which yep. I think has some great carryover to athletics as well. If you have teammates or training partners that are able to do that, obviously sure. that's going to push you to the next level, but going Definitely. into that, I'm interested then getting into your involvement in the track industry. Like how did you get in? What was your first job? And then now you're at Essex, but we'll start with like, how did you get into the track industry? Dude, so in high school, my uh, my high school track coach, uh, Matt Farmer, um, I owe everything where I'm at right now to him. Um, you know, he found me as an athlete. I was just some punk kid walking by, saw a bunch of cute girls stretching, and I was just like, oh, yeah, I could do that. I could jump that hurdle, you know, walking by in baseball pants, you know, and um, I think he had went over and talked to the baseball coach to see like kind of what I was all about. But I was still at the time, I was kind of floating, trying to figure it out, and Matt, basically pulled me over. I started hurdling, man. And I ended up being the dude's babysitter. He was down the street from my house. <laughs> um, met my, I met my high school sweetheart, uh, the girl that I had I met at the time in high school, Kelsey Rubior. She's a, a heptathlete at Syracuse. Um, ended up being great friends. We still keep in contact. And like Matt started it. And I remember Matt, so he was a national account manager at BS, one of the owners, BS Athletics. And Matt um, would come to practice sometimes, like under armor stuff or he'd come with like nike stuff or he'd have like oh i got these new shoes from asics i'm gonna test out today for my buddy and like as an as a young um as a young african-american like i'm looking at that like oh dude knows people at nike bro like that's <laughs> sick dude my coach is the man dude and like even when i worked there with him i was like dude like what are the chances like one of these shoe companies like picks me up because i'm like announcing meets and i'm all over the place and they like sponsor me man you know like He's like, dude, nah, man. Like, no one's gonna do that, you know. Like, yeah. I got this like made up thing in my world, in my head, you know. And yeah, I started out at BS uh, the summer of uh, 2013, and uh, took my first coaching job at Portales, New Mexico. And I just kind of hustled the BS on the side as a GA at Portales, at Eastern New Mexico. I was over there with Mike Barbie. He was the head coach at the time. He's also my junior college coach on the girls' side. Okay. And then. Um, after Portales, I kind of built my business in New Mexico and a little bit of West Texas. Went up to Nebraska, coached at Shattered State under Brad Gamble. That place is, a, that was a blast. Um, man, Shattered State, dude, middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> five hours for meets. Fast forward, um, after being at Shattered for a season, I went out to Marietta College under Andre English. Um, he was a high hurdler at um, Illinois. And I worked under him for uh, two seasons. And then um, a, a position opened up at BS uh, for me to go full-time and sell in Texas. So okay. I was really killing it with the clinics. I, I basically had, I basically did like a quarter million, I think, in sales part-time. Oh, wow. Just like working my thumbs, right? Like people I met at the national meet, coaches who were a fan of me, where I knew I had a, I had an in at, mm -hmm. and then I'd ask them to refer me to, to three people. And then like, I just kind of built that referral business on the, on the side. And Matt was always just like, dude, just work your thumbs, work your text messages, blah, blah, blah. And then. I was announcing meets at Marietta College, um, and then I brought that to Texas, was at some middle school meet, hyped up this middle school meet, had middle school kids running across the field during a four by four. <laughs> and I'm going, dude, this is genius. And Matt was just like, hey man, this is what I do when I announce. Matt announces like Arcadia, the UW meets and stuff like that, you know? And um, it was cool like to hear his voice at Arcadia when I was in high school. 
um, was a trip. And I looked up to that and I saw who he was in the community. He would like write his articles and stuff like that. And I was like, man, dude, like I want to be like that. Like, I want to be in the community and like making a difference, um, but still be able to make a living at the same time. Right. Right. And then in 2000 and uh, what's, what are we in 2020 now? So in the, the fall of 2017, I was kind of feeling like I was getting some wild oats. Like I wanted to go work for somebody else. You know, the Essex factory was down the road and, you know, VS wasn't happy that I was leaving, but I think for me, I needed to take that, uh, that step. Um, as a young individual, my, my goal was always to work for a manufacturer mm-hmm. and um, kind of be the guy that brought that brand alive. And at the time, Essex was kind of a big pain in my butt in Texas because I was trying to sell Pacer poles and I couldn't go against them. Right. And there's nothing I could do. And so kind of started looking into it. Um, and I finally got the opportunity to come over with them, uh, become full-time and become the national account manager. And that's kind of how I ended up at Essex and VS unfortunately couldn't work with me anymore because of the conflict in the industry, because of the, right. one of the biggest dealers that they work with. So we kind of had to break up. Um, and I had to kind of reinvent myself. Um, I spent six years building that business, um, basically organically with my fingers and VS supported me all the, the whole way. Um, but I think at some point, um, when it's, it's the timing might not be, and this is my best advice for anybody that's a young professional who works with people who have either helped them grow in the industry or, um, as a person, right. That you might work for, that you care about might be a part of your family is sometimes your timing might not be when everybody else's timing is right. And I think Mm -hmm. that was the biggest thing was like me deciding like, dude, I think I'm going to go. Like, I don't know. This is just, isn't where I, I don't see myself being here long-term and I want some personal growth. And that's where I've gotten with Essex. It'll be uh, two years in January that I've been with Essex and I've just been able to grow a lot as a person, like mm-hmm. working hands-on with the product, um, helping build our dealer network, um, learning the pole vault, right? Like I was just a decathlete and I joke around with Ty and Jeremy and those guys and Mike all the time. Like, hell, I don't know where I took off at. I think it was at 11, six or 12, right? <laughs> but these guys are like, everyone's like, dude, where's your mid? Where's your, where's your takeoff, right? Where, where were you holding at that time? you know, oh, 13, three and a quarter, right? All that stuff's dialed in. And I was just kind of like, dude, all right, I'm going to come from five. I'm just going to eyeball it, right? Like, right. And so it's been fun to kind of learn that. Um, my, my, my VP jokes sometimes that like, I'm like a caged animal in an office because <laughs> like, I'm super outgoing. Like, you know, I, I announce meets, like, that's what I do. Like, I've been so lost this whole spring not being able to announce any meets. And, um, I am kind of like a caged animal in that corporate office because I'm so used to being out and doing my thing every day. And right. that's one thing I do miss about that job. And um, my buddy and I were just joking around one night. Um, it was probably like two weeks before my son was born. I was like, dude, what am I going to do? Like I need to find a way to get back in the industry. Cause like I had left BS at the busiest time of the year, right? Like January and April. I used to joke ready for the season. That's, yeah. that's like money season, right? Like that's when you can make the most money. And um try to bounce around with other couple other companies and work for them, but it just didn't work. Like it just wasn't my platform. Um, kind of ended up being a conflict for Essex. Then I went and talked to our VP and our CEO. I was like, Hey, like, I think I want to start this small business and I want to make my own catalog. And they were like, yeah, we support you. Whatever you need to do, like we got your back, just, you know, make sure you have a good balance and you know, you can figure it out and still not don't lose sight of your goals here. Right. Um, and you know, we were able to bring on, uh, we were able to partner up with Richie athletics this past year that was a big one for us because you know we don't sell pits and I have a lot of getting a lot of calls for pits and 
I used to sell against those guys quality products. They do a really good job. And we had two companies had similar um, uh, values and we're both kind of small, kind of the, I guess some people would joke around and say that we're kind of like that needle, that needle and, and you know, our competitor like Gill and like UCS is back. Um, that they always, they joke around, like I've heard it before, like these guys just won't go away, you know? Right. And we literally have built our, our market um, with our dealers. We're firm on using our dealers, not going direct. And I like that because I had been on the other side. I had been the dealer before um, working with companies like Gill and stuff like that. And I knew what I wanted to do differently, not necessarily better, but how I would go about it differently being in their shoes. Like how right. can we support you? And Gil did a phenomenal job. I mean, a lot of the things I learned from them as a company, um, I brought here with my job um, now and I've reapplied those things. Um, you know, you have big name people like, you know, Mike Cunningham. Um, you have guys over there like, um, obviously like their CEO, David Hodge, um, Kim Matusik, she's in their marketing. You know, people like that. Um, and then like Brian Carell, he's in their engineering that are innovating and making items and they're impacting our sport. And it was really cool to like tour there, kind of be a part of their family and things like that. But like, you know, you make a move and go work for the, the little guy, people kind of question what you do a little bit, but I think people understand more so now that like I had to make that move for myself. Right. Um, even though it wasn't what everybody else would do. Right. And I think that that's, what's kind of set me apart from everyone else is because I was kind of a trailblazer and I saw at my very first USTF CCCA clinic that there were no African-Americans with any manufacturers. And I was like, all right, I want to be that guy. Right. Um, and kind of be a trailblazer for everybody else and kind of set up my own thing. And that's kind of where track barn came about. It actually just started out like track barn started out, like just drop shipping, like shot puts and discuses. And then I was like, well, we got this thing over here. We can do sublimation. And I got these really like lame rinky dink backpacks at first. And my buddy Tyler Rapke up at William Christman's like, dude, this backpack sucks, bro. And I was just like, all right, well, how can we make it better? Right. And like, that's the thing Like, track barn has literally evolved from the customers, like people bouncing back. Like the only reason why the logo and the website looks as good as it is because people kept asking me, well, Hey, do you have a website? Like I probably wasn't even going to have a website. I was going to be like a mom and pop, like, yo, this is what I can get you. Right. Like, right. Right. Here's your list, you know, and it just kind of evolved. Uh, so they were sure that then we got that new custom backpack, um, hired a graphic designer back in January. She revamped our whole website, kind of our look. Um, I didn't have that like busy barn that I drew up on my dry erase board with the lanes and all the equipment <laughs> and the doors coming out, you know? Yeah. And I think back, I'm like, gosh, that would have been really hard to screen print that logo. Like, <laughs> right, like for sure. Like 18 colors, you know? <laughs> and, um, yeah, dude, it just, I started just kind of calling vendors like at nighttime, like I would get on the phone, like seven, eight o'clock after my son go to bed. And my wife was like, cool with it. Like, I was like, Hey, look, I want to build this thing and pick certain nights to work on it. Um, sometimes I work through the lunch on sitting quotes and stuff like that, but that's kind of how it all started, man. Like worked at VS growing up and kind of just like got into the network. I just, I love track. Like that's the one thing that McCarran told me when we caught up during COVID, uh, the head coach at RCC is like, dude, of all the athletes I remember working with, I just remember how distinct your love was for track and field. And I just love it. Like getting pictures of kids in our uniforms when they first get them or they get their backpacks for the first time, or when you see they hit a PR, like with the equipment that you sold them, right. you know, you're, you're a part of that kid for life. Right. And that's kind of how it is with Essex. Like we have kids all the time. I joke around about kids. They slide into my DMS 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you work at Essex and you're messaging me. And I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, I was your age once, man. Like, I, I would have thought that was so cool if like the owner at Gill, I could message him on, on, on Instagram. And like a couple kids slid into my DMs. I just sent him, um, they put an order in for a backpack and I might throw some stickers in, in the backpack right. and like write them a personal note, you know? Um, and that, those are the kind of things, like I'm a coach first. So those are the things, like how can I make an impact on someone's life and make a difference, right? And that, that was, that's really how all this started is uh, me working at VS was like, um, basically, um, like how can I help my friends? And then I started helping their friends. And then before I knew it, I had like 500 plus contacts, you know, right. and it was just like obnoxious. <laughs> so, but that, that's kind of my gist, man. Like it just, it was all a joke. Like it was all started. I was like, my buddy bought the domain. So then I had to go through like three or four months with GoDaddy trying to explain to them, like my buddy's my partner in this, like right. trackbarn.com, you know? So that was pretty comical. So how tough is it balancing? Like you said, you had those selected nights where you're working on that, but now like that track barn's really like up and running. How difficult is it to balance having a full-time job and doing that as well? Gosh, man, like it's, it's hard. Um, I'm thankful that my wife is super understanding. COVID's kind of been like a blessing in disguise. Um, Cause I've been able to like kind of take a step back and reevaluate. But like, man, I was telling you earlier, like there's, there's days where like, I got to take a nap on lunch, you know? Um, just to stay caught up there's nights where I'm up to one two o'clock in the morning and I got to go to the factory and I only sleep for like four or five hours um, but I think in the back of my mind knowing that I'm creating something that's unique and then having the people that I have on our team like uh, uh, Nelly El Campos um, she's a one of our um, interns at Southview um, Southwestern Assemblies of God University here in Waxahachie in our, in our hometown and then I have an awesome um, graphic designer um, Rachel King um, she was actually, I feel like she came to me from like the track gods because she got <laughs> basically uh, referred to me by her brother, referred her to me. Cause I had this like super old, our old track barn logo was like the letter T and it had like a B and people were like, what's that B? And I was like, basically like, throwing something up and putting it out there. Like surprisingly we throw, we sold like a hundred singlets. Like really we started with that lame logo and nobody knew what it was. I just had a really good graphic designer designing the uniforms and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of, that was cool. What I think it's exhausting. Oh yeah. I could imagine like <laughs> four to five hours of sleep. Like for me, I, I, some people can do it, but for me, I'm like, if I did that once, I'd be tired. If I was doing that on a regular basis and that would be, yeah. that would be tough. But what, what I'm done. taking, yeah. taking away from your story that connects, I think with, I'd say Chris Mirabelli, who I interviewed not that really recently, which is a good interview if people are listening and want to check that out. Like just the perseverance, like he does it in a different way though. But when he, he was looking for sponsorships, he talked about how he emailed a hundred people or a hundred companies, at least a hundred companies and got five back. And those are the five he works with, but like his ability to just, like you said, like go through things or go through the tough stuff and keep going. Like he didn't email five and get five. Like he was like, I had to take 95 no's to get the one company that was like finally right. like that. And like, even though it's not exactly the same, like you guys have the same mindset, I guess on stuff. And I also really yeah, like how- Absolutely, strength in numbers, man. How with your brand, you are able to innovate. Like that's what you're doing. Your goal is to innovate at that smaller level, which is something that obviously all the big companies are big companies for a reason. They do a lot of things really well, but at right. your level, you're able to change something and you're in the sport, you're coaching, you're announcing, you're doing all this stuff. And it's like, you see what they need 
or what people need right. or like what you're hearing that you can adjust that with your brand. So I think that's something that's really cool. Yeah. Like I just, I saw the custom backpacks. I was like, man, like that could be something that we can expand to other sports. Right. And then like the discus bags, like, dude, if we could customize that bag, um, we can make it unique for throwers. Right. Cause they've got custom pull bags, you know, we have all these other things for the other events, you know, and I feel like everyone's always like, what about the throwers? And like you and I talked to like about a custom javelin bag, like, you know, that stuff's, all that stuff's coming, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I joke around, like, I don't want to be known as the bad guy, but I do want to be known as the cool guys, like the cool company, because that's the first thing we get at everybody is like, dude, your stuff's cool. Right. right. And that's, that's, that to me, like, that's what I want, because that's me. And I, if, if someone met Carl for the first time, like, what the first thing you say? And they're like, most people are going to be like, oh, dude, that cool guy, like, yeah, yeah crazy. I hope people say that about me but <laughs> yeah like I, yeah I mean that's that's all I want like I think that that's and if we can if we can display that as a brand like I'm really picky about like not just posting anything making sure it looks clean like that's one thing I've learned at Essex from our VP Don Rarig is that Don used to work at Nike and I've seen some pretty insane presentations and presentations that he's done and some projects that he's put together and just the level and the expectation that's there uh, set in the office when you come to present things is really high. And so I wanted to bring that to track bar and make sure that our content, our social media and the people who were endorsing us were also buttoned up. Right. And that's, that's kind of what it's all about for me is like your presentation is, is 90% of who you are and people look at the website and they're just like, Oh man, you got it going on. And I'm going, I'm thinking in my head, like, yeah, there's still a lot of stuff I got to button up on there, but like, I promise I'm working on it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which I think is funny is like, it's not the same as this as like yours is more serious. I guess like with the podcast, like people will be like, man, like it sounded so good or something, but I'll think about like all the times I said something weird or like I had to edit it out. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was great. But you're like, man, there was, they don't know what, <laughs> what was going on. So it's just like that type of thing that like, you're going to be more conscious of it just because For it's sure. your thing. But it's like, in reality to people, they're probably not even paying a second of thought to like, whatever you're trying to change but it's just it's funny how that is exactly like that attention to detail like we just we're doing something with fast university like they're like one of the biggest track um entities on social media that doesn't sell a product mm -hmm. they have like sixty four thousand followers and it took me like two weeks to get will his mock-ups for the backpacks that we posted today but like i wanted it to be good right and i'm texting this other guy he's just like you sunday morning i sent him a picture of the backpacks the dude facetimes me at nine o'clock i'm laying in bed <laughs> <laughs> and my wife's giggling because this because because will's like geeking out at how cool the backpacks look and like that made my day like that that set the tone for the rest of the week because it was just like dude boom home run like let's keep going right like that feeling's addicting and i think i love sales and being able to get into little markets like when the essex side and even on the track barn side because it's it's like um i know those endorphins it's like getting a like on your you get you get 100 likes you're like oh cool like you know, you get those little endorphins and you get, you get addicted to that. And that's what I got addicted to. Like every time we flip someone from a, a competitor brand to Essex, it's just like, you know, you're fist pumping, but then like that becomes contagious and you want to do it more and right. more and more. And that's basically what kind of happened. Which I think is something you definitely need to be successful in something like that. That's motivated. Not, I wouldn't even say commission, but just motivated on like, it's like how much you do is going to bring it back to you. So it's like to have that competitive nature is definitely just like carries over, especially from athletics as well. Uh, in your career as an athlete, like I'm sure you wanted to push yourself when you're in a sport and now you're able to take that and it's a, not exactly a sport, but it's something that's different uh, in that sense.
Yep, for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I love it, dude. Like, our community is just super, it's it's cool. Like, I, I'm, when people call me in, and it's not just to buy a product, they just call to have a conversation or, like, ask me what they would do with an athlete. It's, like, cool. Like, I want to be a resource to you. If you just so happen to need to buy, like, some javelin knock'em balls or you need a javelin, like, cool. Like, I'd be more than happy to help you out. But, like, at the, at the first things first, like, I want you to know you can call me if you ever need anything. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, what I think it's about, too, is, like, it's not like you're trying to like pull the wool over people's eyes and sell them crap. So you make a bunch of money. It's like, you also, right. like you said, you want them to throw well with your implements. Like you want them. And that's like, that's such a like key thing that I think uh, Gavin, who I talked about earlier in one of the, he was in one of the previous podcasts as well is like just providing value. Like the goal of just providing value is you're not trying to just be like, I'm getting rich off these people buying like wooden craft javelins that I have. Like you're trying to sell a good product and have them do well with it. And like, when you're able to do that, I think you're going to have a lot of success. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You nailed it. We got to get to dinner. So we got to, got to get wrapping up, but I want to end it with the question I've been asking everybody. Uh, who is your favorite javelin thrower of all time and why? Oh man. Um, I'm a really big fan of athletes who are smaller with a high output. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to say like Jan Zalesny, just because his strength to output ratio, like his size, his strength to weight ratio was just like out of this world, right? Like seeing that guy snatch in the weight room and then apply that speed down the runway was just like unheard of. Like, why is this little white guy throwing <laughs> 300 feet? And it was just like, it blew my mind, right? Like, and yeah, he was, he was impressive, man. Like, um, that was one of my favorite uh, javelin throwers. I have to say my favorite decathlon javelin thrower um, would have to be Chris Huffins. Um, him and I had similar, uh, very similar finishes and, um, I would say, uh, approaches. He was one of my more fun people. He was like my idol, obviously, like I was a black decathlete. So there weren't a lot of those just walking around every day. So mm-hmm. he has to be one of my, he has to be really my, one of my really good friends now and kind of a, and a mentor. Um, but being able to see him, like he competed with my coach and stuff like that. So those two, I'd have to say Jan and Chris would be my two jab, favorite jab throwers, but man, dude, Jan just, I could watch compilation after compilation and, and I'm just like still to this day, like mind blown, you know? Absolutely. And like being on the smaller end compared to elite athletes uh, as myself, like that's obviously inspirational is that I'm sure in a lot of mates, he was the smallest or on, at least on the smaller end. Uh, and he's able to obviously produce those crazy results. So it's obviously he's probably a favorite thrower of a lot of people but it's also there's a reason why he's one of the favorites so that's a good yeah. answer and I'll, I'll need to look into Chris I don't think I've ever even heard of him so I'll yeah he's a bronze medalist um in the decathlon um he's a stud dude stud scored over 8,000 points he's just he was funny he was really funny there was a uh, a video of him in a highlight video of him against Dan and Dave that era when they were like competing at the for like the visa championships I want to say Okay. And there's a part where Chris goes, I always text him this sometimes, like randomly, and Chris goes, I mean, your television. And they're like, <laughs> they're, they're like recording him at the meet, you know, like, I think that that's like the funniest thing, because that was me, like, when I compete, I just want to have fun. You know? Right. Absolutely. So, and, and from talking with you, I can definitely see, see you just having a blast out there. Yeah, having a blast. So you had one more question on here. What's that last question you have? So creating track barn and being in the track industry, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, you said that when you're at like the uh, convention and everything with the distributors, you were one of the only 
black distributors are, if, if not one of the only, like the actually only one, like how would you say that's been a challenge getting into the industry and also with all the things going on in uh, especially the United States right now, like if you want to just touch on that a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's like the the best thing advice I ever got when I moved to Texas, obviously it's not like Southern California where like it's super diverse and things like that is like I had another uh, black colleague basically tell me, you know, before you walk up to these coaches, you're a black man first, you're Carl second. He's like, don't forget that. You know, telling someone telling you to be careful in certain areas or certain neighborhoods and things like that, like that was kind of a shocker for me, um, kind of on like a local level. But I would say like on a national level, um is people kind of got to know me as kind of like the hustler and most people would say like hustler kind of has a negative connotation um but i kind of i kind of use that in my favor to be different right um my best buddy one of my one of my good buddies up at butler community college um dustin medler he's the head coach uh up there and i remember meeting him at USTFCCA. And he goes, dude, I'm going to say something right now. And I don't want to offend you, dude, but I had no idea you were black. <laughs> and it's funny, like, cause I mean, I grew up in Southern California, right? Like people are like, oh, well, you act white, but like, do I act white or do I just talk like where I'm from? Right. I mean, there were mm -hmm. 20 other kids just like me jumping bicycles, riding dirt bikes, you know, going and hiking and camping, doing Boy Scouts and stuff like that. I, I didn't realize how unique I was until I went to the Midwest and like, that wasn't the norm. Like, my right. kids were skateboarding or jumping bikes and stuff like that. So I think that that was uh, one thing for me. It was um, kind of being that person um, for uh, black coaches to come to um, and really just like kind of, I don't know, it was just weird the way it happened, you know, like it, it was, I think people definitely noticed me for sure. I was kind of a pain in their butt. <laughs> um, like starting out my career and now I've kind of made a name for myself, uh, to where like they, they really, I'm, I'm a hard person to sell against because I'm genuine and I don't have the same sales tax as some of these other companies do. Right. Um, because I was raised differently, right? Like I'm not gonna try to negatively sell and talk about other products. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do back base based selling and I'm not going to sell on price. I'm going to sell on the value of a product. I think too many people, get stuck on the price. And for me, um, that was one thing my dad taught me um, is putting value in what you're doing and not mm -hmm. just being the first person to the, to the dollar. Cause the money does, where am I going with this? So the dollar amount drives our, drives our industry. Right. But not being the brother that walks up, it's like, oh, I'll give you the best deal. What was the quote you just got? Right. You know, um, it's definitely had its challenges. Um, but I, I think for me, it's like, I'll be, I was announcing a meet at Baylor for flow track last year. And, um, I had a moment to kind of step out and be on the wireless microphone for some field events. And I remember this, I'll never forget this lady walked up to me and she says, I've never met a black person like you before. So it was just kind of like, I had to take a deep breath and mind you, I had just moved here from Ohio, like Southeast Ohio. We're like, I'm right next to West Virginia. Right. So it's like a little racist. So I'm like, kind of like, I'm trying not to be a jerk. And I kind of responded back and I go, well, I've never met a white person like you before that would say something. <laughs> and like, I chuckled and I told her I was just kidding. Cause I kind of felt mean, but then she stopped, took a step back and thought like, Oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. I, I if I offended you, mm -hmm. I was like, no, it's okay. I don't even think that you've ever, you probably really haven't met a person like me. 
you know, and it is, it is different, especially when people meet me in person, it's not what they expect, right? Mm -hmm. Especially being in Texas, the first thing that people ask me, where are you from? You know, my wife is from Louisiana, so I always tease her and her mom when they're on the phone talking, they talk super country and like this, and things like that. So that's, I would say, like, for me, is it's just um, judging a book by its cover. Um, I think a lot of people, like me cruising around Dallas and going to meets and meeting coaches and stuff, like, they were really caught off guard by it at first, but then once they realized, like, I was here to, like, put on a hell of a show announcing interview kids for mile split some weekends and things like that. And being a part of the community um, was when people started to warm up to me. But at first it was definitely hard to get in here because there is like a good old boys network. But now I'm like, Oh, I can call so-and-so and get this done. Or I know right. this, you can get this done. So it was a, it took a long time um, to get the kind of respect at the local and national level for people to know really who I was. Which I think is really interesting how you just said how it's like the like boys club or whatever of things, but what's so good about that is once you're in it's such a small network that it's like yes. you've put yourself in that where it's not like there's two thousand brands that you like if it's just general clothing like there's so many so many brands but with this it's like yeah it's probably really tough at the start but then once you're in I'm like I'm glad now that they're realizing that your mission is obviously a positive one you're bringing a bunch of the right. sport and trying to promote it that it's like once you're in word of mouth it's not that big of a sure. travel I'm sure word travels quick it's like when yeah. Carl's doing something good are doing like a great business like it's yeah yeah. I mean that's how it was like just like you're saying like people didn't know that I owned track barn at first I kind of kept it hush hush I didn't have my picture on the website for like six seven months um because like I didn't want to get like blackballed by anybody or anything like that but then like my name got out there things were said behind closed doors blah 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 and I was like forget it like people know it's me I'm just gonna go out with it like screw it I'm gonna own it and we actually grew like tenfold people knew it was me. Um, and it's been fun. Like the, the, the amount of growth that we've done in a year, I did more sales than I did my third year with the first company I worked with. Oh, wow. And I did more. Yeah, I did more there. And I'm not even working the phones all day long. It's literally like people like you, social media, people like Bass University, Texas Track Coaches, Cross Country Coaches Association of Texas, Texas Miles Split, you know, getting on with these other people who are influencers within my little network here who have helped take us to the next step. So I really have those people to thank um, really getting us going. And I think one thing I'm really interested in too is how you said like you wanted to be the guy where black coaches could come to where when if it's such an industry of like that was not a thing before you, like having you as that resource I'm sure is incredibly I don't, I don't even know helpful, yeah, but just like, like relatable, you know, to, like, right. Like you someone you can go to and they can tell you like, Hey, you know, like our school's not really well off. And like, I'm not going to lie. Like there's been some schools like inner city, New Jersey, Chicago, um, Orlando, um, Houston, um, some schools in Austin that weren't as well off where like, I discounted stuff so low for them just because I wanted to make a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I made an, I, I charged just enough to where it covered shipping and everything else um, and made a couple bucks, but it was the point of being able to be in a position to help them because somebody else might not quite understand where they're at. Right. Mm -hmm. And what they need, because I came from a family of five. My mom was a daycare teacher. My dad was a printer. My dad used to work like two jobs, you know, and um, it's crazy. Like, and now my dad sends me pictures of my old pizza pay stubs Uh, me making 240 bucks in like a two week time span. And I make that now sometimes like just in an hour. Right. 
people will be on the website. And it's just like, my dad's just constantly reminding me where I come from. And I think that that's what's cool is being able to give hope for kids who are um, less fortunate or maybe minority and not to give up on your dreams. And if you see something that's going to take you to the next step, by all means, like evaluate it, jump on it and just go. I mean, you only live once. And I think each decision and each choice I've made as one of my favorite coaches, Rob Nudy used to say, uh, he's one of my GAs in college. Um, he used to always say, dude, we've all made choices. And Rob's like super so cow. He's like, man, we've all made choices that have put us where we're at today, bro. And you know, <laughs> think about that, man. Like not everybody makes a choice and like it works out for them in, in the positive, but all of us have made choices that went to Central Missouri that worked out for us in the, in the long run, right? Right. I think that's important is, is anytime you make a decision uh, based off your career or your education or your athletics is how's this going to affect me long term? For sure. If I'm going to leave anybody with anything, it's going to be that because I think that's one thing for me is I've always just been looking at the right now and not two to three, four years from now. Absolutely. Coast to coast, where I do the most, promise I ain't going ghost on you. If I make it out the sound, no, I'm going to keep you around. Swear to God, I'm not going to switch on you.